This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, hosted by yours truly, the one and only Natty Boss, lifelong athlete, sports dietitian, breathwork facilitator, personal development junkie, and holistic performance coach. This podcast is here to change the paradigm of what it means to be a high-performance athlete. The intention and mission of this podcast is to help you create freedom, clarity, and balance in your life while giving you the tools to heal yourself, improve your well-being, and optimize performance. I believe that in order to reach our highest potential in this human experience, we must unlearn and let go of everything we've been conditioned to believe about ourselves and the world so that we can truly tap into what our divine path is and have the courage to pursue the curriculum of our soul. It's my hope that after every episode, you feel activated and empowered to make change in your life that supports you in operating from a place of alignment of who you're meant to be. Get ready for major shifts and transformation. It's time to dive in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Empowered Athlete Podcast. In today's episode, we have our first couple interview, which I'm really excited about. These are two very brilliant souls in the realm of physical therapy. So they're going to be dropping lots of knowledge bombs with us. And I'm really excited for you to hear what they have to say and learn something and take away something from them. So the conversation we're going to be having today is all about optimizing your longevity in jujitsu with physical therapy and specifically how performance focused physical therapy helps you and can help you stay on the mat longer. And a little bit about these amazing people. Meg and Paul are both Brazilian jujitsu practitioners. They both received recently their blue belts. I know Meg was recent. Mine was recent. He actually just got his fourth strike on his blue belt. Oh, okay. Awesome. Where's that purple? (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Coming up soon. So they are right currently a a blue belt in jujitsu and avid jujitsu practitioners. They're physical therapists. They're owners of Forge Performance Physical Therapy, which is obviously their own business. Their mission is to help active people stay healthy and active throughout their lifespan with an emphasis on function, performance, and longevity. And after a combined 39 plus years of therapy experience in the traditional healthcare systems, Megan Paul recognized the need for more specialized care among active populations, particularly the jujitsu community. So we're so grateful that you saw that hole and are willing to fill it. And their own experiences in jiu-jitsu give them a unique understanding of the demands of the combat athlete. And they created Forge Performance Physical Therapy to better serve the everyday athlete and keep people on the mats through every decade of life, which I know that many people will be so happy to hear because we have lots of listeners of all different ages. And it applies to whether you're 18, because you got to think about that longevity now, or if you got into the sport later and you really want to be in it for the rest of your life. So long as your body will allow. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to have you. And we're going to start with having our listeners just learn a little bit more about you guys. So let's start with your jujitsu background of like, how did you find jujitsu and what prompted you both to start jujitsu? Paul obviously started first, I, I assume. So, yeah. so share a little bit about your story in jujitsu. All right. Uh, well, I uh, wrestled in high school. And I think kind of what appealed to me about the wrestling aspect of things was that you're on a team, but there's definitely a a singularity aspect of it where you go out there on the mat and it's you uh, with the spotlight on you and you have to win or lose based on your own efforts. 
Um, I, I loved the, the team dynamic that was part of it, but then also that you have to push yourself and uh, it, it's up to you to achieve. Um, after high school, you know, you kind of, you drift and you try to find something that, that matches that. And so I kind of started doing some other martial arts. I tried some Aikido, I tried some Kung Fu, um, but it didn't really kind of click because there's a lot of just kind of form and kata and things like that, that you're just kind of, you, you didn't really feel that same uh, exertion point that you got from wrestling. And there really wasn't much of a team atmosphere either. Um, so I kind of just drifted away from that. And I kind of started drifting more towards fitness and CrossFit and things like that to try to just get myself in shape, especially as a physical therapist. Of course, that's important too, which kind of gets into what we're going to talk about in a little bit too. Um, but yeah, so I kind of just drifted away from martial arts in general for a long time. And then I'd say it was probably about five years or so ago. Uh, all of a sudden, jujitsu just kind of started becoming all over the place. You just start, I'd listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. I'd listen to Jocko, someone like that. They would always just say like, oh, jujitsu is the best. You've got to try jujitsu. Jujitsu is going to change your life. Uh, and I said, okay, well, I'm hearing so much about this jujitsu stuff. I'm, uh, that's one thing I haven't tried. So uh, we were on a travel assignment, I think up in Massachusetts, and there just happened to be a jujitsu gym right down the road from where we were staying. And I said, I'm going to drop in and see what this thing's all about. And uh, sure enough, like the first class uh, went in and did the first sparring session against a guy about half my size. And he took me down and wrestler's first instinct is to go to your hands and knees because you don't want to be on your back. So yes. turtled up and I immediately found myself getting choked out by a guy half my size. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so still here trying to figure it out. And I, yeah, used to hear him, I used to hear him coming home and telling me all about it. And he would tell me, you know, of course, in, the initial terms and stuff didn't make any sense or, you know, weren't familiar. But the more he started telling me about the things that he was working on, for one thing, I, I had been looking for something to help me with self-defense, being able to protect myself. Um, but then listening to him explain some of the stuff that they were learning, I was like, that sounds like something that I could actually get into. It was with my physical therapy background and knowing mechanics and the body and anatomy and the joints. And I was like, I, I actually think that might make sense. Like my body could probably get into that pretty, pretty well. So, um, and I had been kind of looking for something similar as well after, after being an athlete for so long and um, just looking for that next thing that I could step into as an adult, um, yeah. you know, at that point. But yeah, so then I tried it, same kind of thing, little teeny weeny little thing little girl just like flipped me on my back and I was like what just happened <laughs> and I was hooked <laughs> oh my gosh yeah I have the exact same story uh, being a lifelong athlete I kind of went in with a little bit of an ego because I was like this and especially having background in martial arts I was like there's no way these people can beat me like I have so much high level experience competing I was actively competing when I joined jiu-jitsu and got choked out and arm barred every second of the session. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but sign me up. And I'm not ever going to stop until I've mastered it and become a black belt. Right. And, and here you are. I Just achieved the goal of black belt. But what I have to say is I am a white belt all over again. <laughs> Definitely have not mastered it. it is evolving and growing at such a rate where there's, I don't think ever a level of just coming to completion. Sure. Yeah. But that's the cool thing about this sport, right? That's the cool thing about it. Like everybody is still learning no matter how long you've been doing it. 100%. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the physical therapy background, how you got started with that and maybe the population that you served beforehand, as well as like making the transition to working with athletes. Sure. Yeah. And Paul's been doing it quite a bit longer than I have in terms of physical therapy aspect as well. So I'll let him start. 
Yeah, so I graduated PT school, uh, University of Florida in 1996. Uh, so it's quite a few years ago, which kind of catches up to me. Um, but you tend to work in different aspects of things. Um, you can always kind of choose a specialty that people will come out and go into. So uh, most people will think like, well, I want to go into orthopedics and people think like they're going to start working with a sports team right away. And that's some people's just visual aspect of what they think physical therapy is. Uh, but there's so many other aspects to it where you can work in a hospital, you can work in a home, home health setting. Um, you know, you can even just go into research if that's kind of your deal there too. Uh, oddly enough, like I started out as an architecture major in college. I didn't even know what physical therapy was. Um, and then, cause I just realized like, I'm interested in the structure of how things are built. So after, yeah. So after I realized after a semester or two of just realizing that architecture was just not for me, um, I kind of floated around a little bit until someone suggested, well, you're into physical fitness, you're into the human body and anatomy want to try physical therapy. So I looked into it and that seemed like the perfect, perfect fit. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, and again, I was like a fish in water as soon as I hit PT school. Um, and then after graduation ended up doing a lot, again, a lot of travel work. So you get to, I, I think it's important to try to play around with different settings. And so you find what fits because sometimes you'll think you have an idea of where you want to go, but then you uh, get encountered some other aspect of like neurological rehab or something, something you never even thought about. And it becomes fascinating. And all of a sudden you start drifting towards that. Um, but yeah, so that ended up uh, becoming, uh, well, I did kind of drift more into the orthopedics aspect of things because I like the hands-on, I like the manual stuff um, and ended up just kind of managing a lot of clinics around in different areas too, because that's just kind of how it goes now. Like you just you end up working in a clinic for a little bit. Uh, you work your way up the ladder. Next thing you know, you're in charge. Yeah. So that's where I think Megan came into play here too. Yeah. So I, I graduated from Northwestern University in the Chicagoland area um, in 2009. Uh, and I had come down here for an internship and I actually met Paul while I was on that internship. Um, and then you saw my first job out of school was in an outpatient clinic. Um, we saw a lot of different, um, a lot of different diagnoses, kind of what Paul was talking about. Um, you know, physical therapists can see everything from uh, you know, more orthopedic athletes to the general population who just, you know, is having low back pain doing their laundry to somebody who's really um, neurologically involved or something along those lines. So um, we saw kind of a little bit of everything, but, um, you know, I think it was, and then we ended up doing a lot of travel work. We went and did um, a lot of contracts and things that was in home health, but I think we always kind of came back to these outpatient centers um, outpatient clinics where we're trying to work with more able-bodied people who, um, you know, we would get an athlete who'd come in and they, or somebody who maybe, you know, not necessarily professional athletes, but just somebody who wants to, you know, just the everyday athlete, we kind of coined, like just somebody who's, you know, wanting to work out and do the, go to the gym and um, that type of stuff. And they, you know, we would be trying to treat them as such, like kind of meet them where they're at, you know, as opposed to seeing someone who is a little bit more, maybe they're not able to do as much. And then just because we get in this mindset of, um, you know, well, we're seeing a lot of older people. And so we're just going to treat this athlete the same way, way we would treat the older people. So we, we always saw ourselves as trying to meet that, meet them where they're at, um, yeah. which we noticed a lot of our coworkers and, and just 
you know, other th therapists just weren't doing that. And so we kind of noted, that's kind of where we started to recognize like, oh, we're kind of doing things a little bit differently. Um, and our, and our patients would always really appreciate that. So, um, you so know, are you thinking more towards like a standardized protocol versus a customized protocol essentially sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was kind of our way, you know, we would, we would kind of see our clients as the individual, whereas a lot of times we were noticing that some people would, maybe it wasn't standardized, but it was, um, I don't know what you would say, like more, um, just simplistic or, or general compartmentalized. compartmentalized. It's, like, it's like you would see someone who comes in with a knee injury and they would just focus on that knee injury and right. they wouldn't really pay much attention to what that person As is dealing with or what other but things. Are yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like a knee injury is a knee injury, whether you're an 85 year old woman who doesn't able to move versus a 20 year old athlete. Sure. And, and either way, you're, you're, everything works as a, as a unit, right. Or as a whole machine. Right. So you have to treat the whole patient. And I, we kind of found that that was just not happening yeah. in, in the, in the healthcare system overall. So we already, we started to notice that we were different in that way, just kind of right off the bat. So, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I love what you do, Meg and Paul, just having you guys on this podcast, because obviously everything that I teach is about a holistic approach to everything. And so, you know, when you spoke at role models and I just loved everything that came out of your mouth, I was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> these are the people that we need in this industry. You know, these are the trusted sources that I would feel comfortable recommending knowing that you guys have that holistic approach, because I know that that is truly the key to longevity as well as just healing an actual person and not just putting a bandaid on a bullet wound. So exactly. uh, yes, I'm so happy that, you know, we need to get her on the podcast and get them on the <laughs> podcast to, to share this. And I know that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys started your business just recently, right? Like within the last year. Yeah. The beginning of the year. About it. You're like, I'm going to, we're about to do it. And I'm like, go for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just at the beginning of the year, we started seeing our own clients, I think in March. March. Yeah. Was the first mm -hmm. one. Yep. Amazing. So sure. tell us a little bit more aside from the intro of like the mission behind Forge Performance and why, which you probably touched on a little bit just now, but why you believe that Forge Performance is different than what other people have to offer. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, our mission, our mission is really to help active people stay healthy and active through every decade of life. Right. So that was kind of in the intro, but, um, you know, we, we kind of touched on this too, where, you know, what does active people mean? Well, I think a lot of times people, you know, we might see somebody who they go to the gym, you know, maybe five days a week in the morning before work. And then they end up at jujitsu three times a week in the afternoon. And they're like, well, but I'm not an athlete. That's like people think in their head that they hear athlete and they think like, well, somebody who's getting paid, they're professional. And it's like, no, 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 you are, you are absolutely an athlete and you need to treat your body as such. I know you've said that with your nutrition, like you need to fuel your body as such. Yeah. And it's the same thing with everything else, recovery and, um, and healing and rehab and all of that. So we, we kind of talk about the everyday athlete, you know, it's not, it's, it's, so that's kind of where that's our, that's who we reach out to these everyday athletes, people who already understand the importance of being active, staying healthy, staying moving. Um, and, you know, we often heard a lot through our careers of, well, I'm just X number, you know, whatever age, fill in the blank. I'm just, I'm already, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70, whatever excuse they want to use. And I guess it's just how it's going to be. Meanwhile, we're like, no, no, it doesn't have to be that way, right? It doesn't have yeah, to yeah. be that way. There's so many examples of so many amazing humans well into their older years. They're doing amazing things. And we just feel really strongly that that is possible for everybody. Mm -hmm. 
so that's kind of our, that's our mission, right? To like help, help keep people active and keep people moving through every decade of life because it is possible. Um, so I would, I would say it's become a frustration for us too, because even other people in the medical community would tell clients of ours that it was time to hang it up. Yeah. So especially like said athletes or people who do jujitsu, you go to a medical professional who doesn't understand what that is. And they'll say, well, well, I hurt my shoulder though. How'd you do it? Well, I was rolling jujitsu. What are you doing that for? You're too yeah. old for that. Yeah. Or they'll say like, well, oh, oh, well, you can't do that anymore. And of course that person's going to say, huh, watch me. Yeah. So yeah. you create this conflict with what the so-called medical professional is telling you to do and your own desires that you want to stay able to keep doing these things on the mat for forever. Um, and it mostly stems from an, a misunderstand, a misunderstanding or that they just don't, you know, maybe that medical professional is not active themselves, or maybe they're not, they don't mm -hmm. understand martial arts specifically. So that's our, that's how, you know, in terms of how we are different, we have this unique skill set. We've been lifelong athletes ourselves. We are involved in jujitsu. We are involved in strength training and CrossFit. So we know, we understand that side of it. So yes, we have a lot of medical background, which a lot of other physical therapists do, but what they're missing is this active athletic strength training component that we actually have a, a, a nice mix of both that really kind of sets us apart from, from a lot of the other medical professionals out there. And so we kind of, you know, we, we gravitate towards people who are in our world, in this athletic world. And I think they, you know, once they know that we're out there and this is actually a thing and this is possible, like you can actually get help for stuff and not be told to go sit on the couch for the rest of your years. Like, I think they'll be drawn to us too. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to what like you're speaking to is having that like lived experience, but like you're the embodiment and you're leading by example. And I think that's so important, especially in the medical industry and medical field it's just a regurgitation of textbook stuff that they've learned. And it's like, what are you applying in your own life? You know, I've always said like, I'll never go to an overweight doctor, not that I'm body shaming, but you clearly don't know how to take care of yourself, Absolutely. you know, whether it's mental or whether it's physical and how do I have the confidence in you to, mm -hmm. to treat me in a certain way. Right. And so it's the same thing. Like if they don't live an active lifestyle, then of course they're not going to understand what that's even means to be able to apply an effective strategy because they're just kind of maybe regurgitating what they've heard or what the common knowledge was and passing it down from outdated research, you know, and things have evolved. And if you're not up to date with that in the medical field, you know, and open to those new concepts, yeah, you're really, you're really seen as just kind of old school you know, and things are evolving. So it's great that you guys have that. And you kind of spoke to, if there's anything else you have to add to this, if not, we can move on. But is there any other aspect of what you feel is lacking in the physical therapy industry other than like that holistic approach, that customized approach that you feel like it's critical for athletes to be aware of? I, I would jump in and say, yeah, the, the other thing that we're running into trouble with is that, um, it's an insurance-based industry. So mm -hmm. if someone's got an injury, they're going to go to their doctor. They're going to get a referral for physical therapy. They're going to go see their physical therapist and they're going to show up for their 9 a.m. appointment at the same time that three other people are showing up for their 9 a.m. appointment because it's just all about numbers right now. It's, it's about getting as many people as you can in the door because insurance rates are, uh, reimbursements are dropping. So uh, clinics are finding it more and more necessary to try to squeeze as many people in it at a time as they can just to make, just to break even. Yeah. Uh, that, that approach just literally cringes my soul because we are more than just 
numbers and money. We are human beings. And that's the issue a lot of times I find, and I'm sure a same thing like with doctors, but with mm -hmm. like physical therapy is like just rushing people in and out just for the sake of getting the next person in and not really being able to help that person on a deeper level, which just makes them come back more, which is just more money. Right. Yep. But it's, yeah, so that's definitely something that's frustrating. And it, you know, it goes back to what we mentioned before, where it, not to, uh, you know, not to bash on our field coworkers as a whole and other physical therapists, a lot of times it's, you know, they, they maybe treat simplistically. They, they kind of do a cookie cutter approach because their, their hands are tied behind their backs. You know, yeah. they, they don't real they, they, they think that this is all there is. This is what physical therapy is. They don't realize that there is more to it and you can do more. They just kind of are, you know, they're, they're working for the man and they've been told this is how many people you have to see in order to yeah. have a whole day or, you know, mm -hmm. and so it, you know, they're, they're doing the best they can. They're trying to keep their heads above water. Um, so it is kind of, it's a systemic, yeah. it's a systemic issue. You know, it's a systemic thing. Yeah. When we were in that situation, when we worked in these types of clinics, we would try to go above and beyond and try to spend as much time with each client as, as they needed. Um, but like I said, that was burning us out. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're, we're there seeing 20 people in a day and trying to give as much time and attention to them as, as, they, as we can or as they need. Uh, but that ends up with us leaving two hours late at the end of the day with 30 notes to write and just getting burnt out. So. so for athletes, for athletes to know that, you know, it is where right now the majority of the, the traditional healthcare system is like that, that's not your only option. Yes. That's an important that's thing. I honor everybody. you guys for taking the leap into entrepreneurship and starting your business so that you can be the, the head yeah. and, you know, pave a new way and blaze a new trail and not have to be stuck in that cycle. So every time somebody does that, that's opening up a new opportunity for athletes to recognize there's another way. And so that's yeah. so beautiful and we honor you and we're so grateful and thankful for you. <laughs> so I love this conversation. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I obviously want to hear it from you guys, but what are your thoughts on prehab versus rehab? I can go on a soapbox about this because I feel like <laughs> rehab is one of the things that we are mainly taught as athletes. Like after you're injured, these are what you do to get, you know, better or quicker, or maybe prevent re-injury, but it's everything leading up to that. So what are your thoughts on prehab and rehab? Yeah, we were just talking about this last night. You know, it's uh, rehab, it, you know, once you're, once you're injured, right? There's kind of this like demarcation. Once you're injured, it changes the game, right? So your tissues have like mechanically and chemically changed. And so the term rehab, when you're actually rehabbing an injury, you've now have to flip the switch and, and, and treat your system in a totally different way. It's it, when we talk about prehab, there's so many different things that you can do to, you know, leading up to any kind of an activity that you might be doing um, to help just prepare the tissues, um, just prepare your body for, to be better accepting of whatever the activity is that you're doing. Nettie, I know you talk a lot about nutrition and, you know, fueling your body correctly, hydrating properly, getting enough rest, getting enough sleep. There's a lot of those things in terms of, of, you know, just the beforehand or the preparation, the pre whatever um, that can help. Cause that overall just makes your body, you know, puts it in a better, better position and a better setting, better, better situation overall. Yeah. Um, I think like the, the decrease, like the, the goal, in my opinion, with prehab is 
doing everything in your power with what's in your control. Like you said, the sleep, the energy management, the nutrition to simply reduce inflammation. Like the way I view it is like inflammation is the, the crux of all injury. So everything you can do to reduce inflammation, then you're probably in good shape. So that's yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I was going to say to your point, the next thing that I was going to say was, you know, when we do something like jujitsu and, and there's lots of other activities that are kind of like this, where there's a huge aspect of jujitsu that is completely out of our control. So to say to somebody like, I can bulletproof your body and you'll never get injured again. It's not realistic, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Particularly when we do, I mean, that's not realistic necessarily for somebody who's not playing active sports, <laughs> let yeah. alone somebody who does something like martial arts or even CrossFit or something like that. When, especially when you're a competitive athlete, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so to, to do what you said, everything that's within your power, right? So there's a lot of things that we can do to prepare the body as to the best of our ability um, to kind of prepare this vessel as best as we possibly can for the activities that we're doing. Yeah. I was just saying as strong as you can make your body before an injury, it's like that will somehow prevent an injury. It just makes it less likely. But we think about this, like, how is it to prove a negative? Like, let's say if you did all these exercises and you were keeping yourself in pretty good shape and you got into so many situations on the mat where you might've otherwise been injured, but you weren't, how do you know that you just weren't injured because you're in good shape versus that one last one that really does tweak you. And you're like, well, all those exercises didn't work. I still got hurt. But yeah. it's like, well, how many, how many injuries did you prevent just by having yeah. that baseline measure of, of strength and, and ability and mobility before that? So that prehab is really a lot of a, um, like a trust thing. You have to trust that the work you're putting in ahead of time is actually bettering your, your system. Yes. The future. Yeah. I love that you said that I have firsthand experience with that. Like my recovery time is insane. Like I can get even little twinges in this and that. I take off for one day, do an Epsom salt bath, do my sauna blanket hundred percent the next day. And mm -hmm. that's obviously more of like the rehabilitation, like personal rehabilitation stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's been numerous times where, you know, the perfect storm could have been some type of ACL tear or MCL, sure. tear, but a combination of, I would say even more so than just like the strength of my legs or something, it was more my ability to move yeah. and recognize that that was coming and kind of be able to be agile enough to move out of the way to evade it, which comes back to kind of the prehab, more of like the, you know, exercise aspect of it, of like doing functional movements yeah. that are going to aid in that type of movement. Like I said, like I have, and I think like what you said is like right on the money, like you have to trust yourself mm -hmm. and trust your body. Mm -hmm. And it does become easier to do that when you do invest in yeah. those things. Yeah. If you're not doing any of those things, then of course you're going to have less trust in your body because you're not really working to build that strength and that trust in yourself to actually be able, okay, I could trust my body today. If you know that you're not eating well, if you know that you're not sleeping well, if you know that you're not doing any cross training, well, yeah, of course you're going to be hesitant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can even go as far as, you know, talking about the, 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 the tissue level and like the suppleness of your tissues, you might've put a joint on, you know, cause we do this all the time in jujitsu where you take a joint and you take it to its limit. But if you've hydrated properly, if you've been eating your nutrients properly, if you've been moving on a regular basis, those tissues are going to be supple enough to where they might stretch, but not break, or they might, you know, something like that, where it would have maybe injured the person next to you, but you have been able to, your, your, your tissues were able to respond appropriately. Yes. 
And there's also a cardiovascular aspect of that too. A lot of people, they don't do any outside cardiovascular training and they find themselves burning out on the mat, you know, three minutes into a six minute round. So, you know, you think about if you're tired, well, how's your performance going to be during that role? Uh, so, you know, that's, that can be the difference between winning and losing because now all of a sudden you're exhausted, you're huffing, you're puffing, your form's going to break down, your posture is going to break down and you're going to be an easier person to beat. Uh, yeah. so, you know, and, we think of like that strength yeah. and cardiovascular all, all kind of going hand in hand. So that's also part of that, uh, prehab as well. And you're more likely to get injured when you're, when you're fatigued like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. I see it all the time with yep. athletes. I, I could see their posture starting to slump, their movements starting to slow down, their breathing start to increase. And I'm like, that's a recipe for injury. And you're also not making decisions as well and as clearly. So then you might make a decision that actually puts you in a position that you might get injured. You know, there's, it, there's so many layers to the yes. conversation, but yeah. 100%. Yeah. So with that said, what are some of the most common injuries you see among athletes as of what you're working with now, maybe like everyday athletes or some jujitsu athletes, and what have you found to be the primary causes of those injuries, maybe specifically jujitsu related, if they've shared that information with you, such as like, for instance, jumping guard is usually one when people don't know how to hold the weight of the other person is usually where knees buckle and lots of MCL, ACL tears have happened. I've literally seen, and that was the instance with me where they jumped and I was able to just have a strong foundation and and evade that. But I know that that's one that often people are hesitant about, which is why white belts aren't allowed to jump guard anyway, because they don't have body awareness yet. (laughs) Right. Probably for the best. Yeah. (laughs) I think we, well, so recently, I think we've seen a lot of, um, a lot of shoulder injuries, particularly in the jujitsu community. Um, you know, that we use our arms so much for framing and for creating space or, you know, uh, closing up space. And so we're using our shoulders a lot. And then they're also targets for attacks, you know? So, um, they're kind of, they're, they are arms and shoulders tend to be under attack a lot. And I think it is also an area where people tend to, um, maybe neglect is a strong word, but they don't, um, either know how, or they, they, I guess neglect would be a right, a proper term of just the shoulders and posture. And, you know, with society today, everybody's so rounded and forward, and it's just an area that tends to be prone to injury just in general. Um, and so tack, you know, societal norms and things into now a jujitsu world where people are literally looking to attack your arm and shoulder. That yeah. kind of is a risky yeah. disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would say those shoulder injuries, a lot of times they're not, uh, acute, like, immediate injuries it's almost like a chronic thing where someone comes and says you know what this shoulder's been bugging me for months and i'm deciding to do something about it and i said well was there any specific thing well no but it hurts every time i reach or push or frame out uh so it's these these tiny little nagging injuries that like she was saying it's more of an accumulation of things over time because of bad posture because of daily habits that uh you know they're reversible things that once we call attention to that and pull it back into its regular position, hey, the body starts to function normally again. So yeah, uh, yeah. What do you find within the shoulder is maybe one of the things most injured? I know that I like tweaked a few times my AC joint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's from like a bottom side control position and just kind of like moving in a weird way. Um, but that's uh, resolved, but that's for me personally, are there any other aspects of the shoulder that you find are more affected? Yeah. That one you've got, he's yeah. got a couple clients right now that he's yeah, treating. 
I'd say it's a lot of just people getting impingement in the front, yeah. again, from those okay. things where they're just doing all this stuff in front of their body, pushing, framing, um, working in that position too, and not really working on any kind of rear scapular control or anything like that, because, you know, pretty much the only pulling that we're doing in jujitsu is like, if you're grabbing a collar or trying to, you know, pull something or for a sweep or something like that too, or, or like you said, the AC joint gets injured because, you know, your opponent takes your arm out away from you and sweeps you in that direction. Where do you land? right on that AC joint. So Impact. I had an injury myself a few months ago, just from that where, you know, it was, you know, you don't have a base because that makes an effective sweep, but yeah, down you on your shoulder, if you roll properly, it's fine. But if you just happen to land in that wrong spot, yeah, that ligament's going to go. Yeah. And so we have to speak to leg injuries because unfortunately they're very prevalent. Yeah. Um, and so what are the biggest injuries that you've seen maybe worked with hands-on, you know, and some of the causes of those. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we see a lot of knee injuries that you kind of can't, uh, the knee injury is one of the most like high, it's like the high, one of the highest percentages of jujitsu injuries. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of times that the knee injuries happen more in the standing game, um, you know, more with um, whether it be like a plant and twist or somebody like you had mentioned, somebody's jumping guard, um, or even, even if you're not jumping guard fully, it might even be just one person was planted and the other person is trying to, you know, do some sort of sweep from, you know, while that person is standing. So a lot of times the knees will happen, you know, knee injury will happen if the foot is planted, but the rest of the body is t twisting in a different way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that, that can definitely, um, yeah, that's definitely a common, a common way to injure the lower extremities. That's most, the knees, I think is mostly what we see for the lower extremities. Yeah. Knee ends up being the big problem that gets stuck in the middle between yeah. a hip and an ankle. So if yeah. you think, you know, a heel hook, you're, you're grabbing the heel and you're attacking the foot, but it ends up being a knee injury because of that twisting motion. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the hip, you know, if the hip twists the wrong way, well, where's it going to buckle? It's going to buckle up a knee. Yeah. So it's a lot of torque going into a little joint. And a joint that's not meant to have a whole lot of torque, right? It's a, the hip has a lot of freedom of movement. The ankle has a lot of freedom of movement, but that knee is just supposed to go. Yeah. Ways. I think I remember this in anatomy. We got ball and socket joint. That's our mm -hmm. hip. And yep. then what is it? The hinging joint. Yep. Is that what it's called? Yes. I remember. <laughs> there was a little anatomy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was good. There, there was a digging deep in from the depths on that one. <laughs> But yeah, there, I mean, there's a little bit of torque in the knee, but, but you know, it, it, there's not a lot. And so if, if, you know, something's planted on one end and it's twists on the other, you know, it can, like you said, from either end, it can really wreak some havoc. So is there anything specifically that you would say could, I, I don't want to say prevent because like you can't guarantee prevention of an injury, like from never happening, but, um, like from like, when we talk to ACL, MCL, like things that athletes can integrate or consider to prevent that twerking as much as possible. Like the first thing that came to my mind, and I'm not sure, like, I'd love your thoughts on it, but like, for me, I'm never flat footed in anything that I do. I'm always slightly on the ball of my foot because I know that my body will rotate. Right. Yeah. Being that's a big is so that's what came to mind for me is like, that's why I never fight flat footed because mm -hmm. once I'm planted, it's, directionally one way and anything else can go a different way. Yep. And maybe that's how I've been able to evade injury for 12 years doing jujitsu, but I'm curious if you agree with that or if there's something else to add to that. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're on it right there. Because like you said, when you've got, when you're up on your toes, you're engaging your muscles. 
and your muscles are your first defense against any kind of injury. Um, you know, if you're getting down to the point okay. where you're having to, to rely on your joint tissues, your ligaments, your tendons to stop an injury, uh, you messed up pretty good at that point. Think like an arm bar. You know, you yeah. can resist an arm bar as long as you've got your elbow slightly bent. But as soon as that elbow straightened out, now we're down to ligaments and tendons and capsules. So and those yeah. are only going to stretch so far. They don't have a stretchy kind of tissue like the muscle does. So mm -hmm. contractile tissues. And so this actually is like an interesting, not segue, but point to the importance of potentially building muscle or like adding some type of element of strength training, mm -hmm. you know, to, to support those joints and those tendons. So that, cause I didn't realize that the first line of defense of that injury is muscle. So that is great because with more muscle that you have, maybe this isn't a blanket statement because there's a lot of stiff people out there with a lot of muscle that don't have a lot of mobility. So if you're like somebody with a lot of muscle and mobility, then maybe that is the goal as far as like, what do I cross train as, or what do I integrate? Maybe like thinking of those two things, like what's your mobility, like what's your strength, like, and maybe working to build those two areas so they can like synchronize and maybe prevent injury. What are your thoughts yeah. there? And a healthy balance. Yeah. Like basically what you were saying, a healthy balance of both. Uh, and then also, you know, it's, it's not just about the brute strength and the supple mobility, but it's also about the control. So, you know, speaking back to what you were mentioning about being on the balls of your feet, the other thing that that allow you can pivot, right. But it also allows you to, um, like he was saying, your muscles are engaged and your nervous system has then the ability to respond and react quicker. Um, you're going to likely be, if you're on the balls of your feet, you're more in what we call like an active state, right? And so your knees are not locked out, probably. Your knees are a little bit bent. Your muscles in your hips are engaged. Um, and so the, the nervous system then can respond a lot quicker. Um, you know, so, so you can either move out of the way, you can, you can change your body position to avoid, you know, being in a locked out position. Uh, and things like that. So, um, so while strength is very important, mobility is very important, the balance of the two, but then also training the control, you know, so you can have, because often you mentioned somebody who is real beefy and muscular, but not, you know, but they're stiff, they're not mobile, but then you can have the other end of the spectrum. Oftentimes females tend to be um, very uh, flexible, right? Have a lot of range of motion, but they may not have the strength behind it both of those need to find a balance and find the control and be able to control. So this, you know, these other side of the spectrum where somebody's really flexible, they need to, flexibility is great, but if you don't have control over that flexibility, you're going to have other issues on a different end of the spectrum. So, yeah, so yeah. control is really important. Love that. Yeah. And that's where a lot of, you know, I think when we start to talk about that stuff, that's kind of where the expertise of somebody like a physical therapist, that's, that's where our training that's, yeah. that's like our bread and butter. Right. So, you know, you can, yeah, you can see, you know, personal trainers are great and teaching strength training and mobility and, and, you know, that sort of thing. But as physical therapists, we have that background, that neurologic background, that medical background where it really, you know, we can get hone in on the nitty gritty and really teach very specific control based on the individual's deficits, faults in their movement and their goals and needs. Exactly. And that actually is a nice segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is if there's any, maybe general, because I know everything's individualized, but like practices or strategies you recommend athletes to integrate to prevent injury from happening. So we kind of talked a little bit about this, maybe strategies of, you know, recognizing if you're flexible, building strength, if you're strength, building mobility. Um, but if there's any specific 
like blanket exercises or something that you find are generally good for most people to integrate or to consider? Yeah, I'm trying to think about um, anything in particular. Uh, you know, we always think about our, our proper warm ups for jujitsu. Uh, you can say what you will about certain people's warm up techniques. Uh, <laughs> you know, we always try to simulate what the activity is that you're going to be doing. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you don't want to jump in cold turkey and all of a sudden try to do a max squat. Or same thing in jujitsu, you don't want to show up without warming up and go right into a jumping guard. Yeah. Um, so you want to make sure you're making those tissues uh, warmed up and ready to do exactly what you're trying to, to make them do. It's yeah. like Meg was saying, there's a neuromuscular control and you almost want to kind of warm up that neuromuscular pathway to start to yes. simulate the activity that you're about to perform. I love that. I love that concept. And my movement coach this word came to mind of what we do with that. And he calls it calibration. Mm -hmm. It's almost like calibrating that pathway, like you said, to like yep. get warmed up, send those signals. And before you put that hard work onto it. Yeah. You're priming the system. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's, and it's also about, you know, the, the warm-up shouldn't just be about stretching, right? People think, oh, well, I need to stretch before class. That's cool, but to do it in an active way, which in involves the priming, involves that prim that calibration, and it literally, you know, warm up, it's in the name, you're trying to get your body temperature up, so you're, you're moving your blood from one end to the other, the blood brings the heat, and it actually, you know, warms the tissues up, it makes them more supple, so that it can stretch, and it can move, and it can, you know, go into these crazy positions we always find ourselves in on the mats. 100%, <laughs> yeah. And so unless you've been doing some breath work, Paul, maybe this uh, question's a little bit more geared towards Meg, but having experienced breath work with me and doing what you do and finding and being in that holistic approach, what role do you believe breath work plays in both prevention and injury in your experience? Yeah. So um, I, so I was thinking about this the other day and I'll, I'll give you maybe first an anecdotal um, kind of thing and then, and then kind of talk more about it scientifically, but I, so back at Christmas on Christmas day, in fact, I sprained my ankle and it was pretty gnarly. Um, and it wasn't from anything sports related, funny what were, enough. What were you doing? I was climbing a tree. <laughs> I was climbing a tree, um, like a seven-year-old, like a seven-year-old and it was totally worth it. So, so, but I digress, but my point is, so I, my old past habits, I would have sat with that and gotten so angry with myself and gotten so mad with myself and gotten and like, why did you do that? There, that wasn't worth it. That's silly. It wasn't, you know, you were doing something that you didn't have to do. And, and now you've ruined the trip. I was visiting, we were visiting family. It was a holiday. I was going to train that week, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I could have gone in down that road. I chose to, and breathwork was a huge part of this of I also would have probably worried like, oh my gosh, I, my foot's going to fall off. I, you know, even though I'm a medical professional, <laughs> my brain can take me to crazy places, but I was able to utilize breath work in multiple ways to, to help get me out of my head, bring me back down into my body, allow myself to trust my body and allow myself to trust that my body was created in a way to be a healing machine. Um, I, I remember like I was doing contrast baths, ice bath, putting it in, in, in the steamy hot shower. And I remember doing breath work throughout the whole thing. I remember even just at the end of the day, getting in a shower, this was like days after it happened and going through doing like 
the power breath and the blow breath in the shower, just to put myself in the right mindset of like, you know, no, you are right where you're supposed to be. This happened for a reason, you know, you need this, maybe this was, you know, needing more, you needed more rest. Maybe that was a sign that you needed more rest. And, um, you know, so I think in terms of anecdotally that once an injury has happened, it really kind of put me in a, in a place where I could trust myself, trust my body, um, not let my head, you know, get crazy and just kind of run away with things. So anecdotally, once, once an injury happens, I think it can really serve a great purpose in that respect, because, you know, as athletes, when we get injured, it's hard for us to, um, accept, (laughs) right. (laughs) So, you know, it really, it helped with that aspect for sure. Um, I think, you know, in terms of scientifically, and you and I've kind of spoken to this in the past about how, how the oxygen and CO2 exchange can be really huge and, and increased CO2 in your system can cause more acidic, more acidity in your system. And so I think the breath work and, um, not only, uh, regulating how much CO2 you have in your system, but also being able to create a tolerance in your body for the CO2 that you do have in your system. I feel like and creating that alkalinity in your, in your body can really, um, I mean, it helps with cognition. It helps with, um, you know, thought processes, but it can also really help with the healing processes in your body mm-hmm. and creating not only on the, on the back end of an injury, but I think probably, you know, in the beginnings or, or uh, I should say ahead of an injury, like, you know, to help prevent and create a, a better environment in your system, um, to, to help pr- with prevention as well. Yeah. And one thing I'll just insert here because I speak about it every episode probably, and people are probably saying <laughs> it, but kind of what you're speaking to too, is like just that shift of the sympathetic part of the nervous system to the parasympathetic. And that's like our state of being able to heal and restore. So the more that we can, you know, utilize that breath work before and after an injury, we're going to accelerate our recovery process naturally without having to do much because the body will heal itself. Like you said, and trusting that the body, just as we can create injury, it will also, it's designed to heal itself. So we just need to put it in the right environment for it to heal itself. And Breath work always, and has, has always been a great help in that. Yeah. I always tell patients ever since I graduated school, it's the body is cool. The body's an amazing machine. It will heal itself if given the proper environment. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to that, but I think breath work is such a great, it, it is a, it's a great way that something that we have very much control over yeah. that we can, you know, so in a, in a situation, especially if already injured in a situation where you can feel, it's very easy to feel like it's out of control. You know, something happened to you and you can't control this or that or the other thing. It's a, it's a point where it, it can really help you feel like you've got more control of the situation and you can control yeah. your, your environment, your, your physical like vessel environment. Yeah. And that's where you can find that power in an injury instead of feeling victimized by it. Absolutely. Sure. And is there any other advice either Paul or Meg about, uh, what you would offer to injured athletes who desire to accelerate their healing other than anything else that we've added. We kind of talked a little bit, breathwork kind of plays a role in that question, but is there anything else, um, advice for injured athletes who desire to accelerate their healing? What in your opinion, should they focus on if there's an injured athlete listening right now? Well, uh, I think we've touched a lot on the basics of the nutrition and getting proper sleep. I, I always ask patients about that. And Usually when people are having some trouble with recovering from something, I say, how are you sleeping? They'll be like, oh, well, I can't sleep really well. 
this hurts so bad, I can't sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this catch 22 type of a thing. So it's, well, you know, we got to find some way to improve your sleep. So, you know, our main thing as a PT is like, well, can I at least take you somewhat out of that pain so that we can improve on those other aspects of things? Obviously nutrition is something you can all take a, take care of like right off the bat. Uh, so again, we'll kind of dig a little bit into that of like, what's your nutrition style look like? What, what are you eating? Are you hydrating enough? Because hydration is super important when it comes to healing and keeping, uh, keeping those tissues uh, moving like they should. Um, you know, we'll usually dig into a little bit of like, what are you doing for that injury itself? Are you, uh, are you just leaving it alone completely? Are you immobilizing it? Are we starting to move? Are you moving too much? Uh, because we do tend to see this thing with athletes where they just want to get up and go. They'll try to ignore the pain and they'll say, it's not that bad really. And then they'll go back out on the mat or go back to the gym or whatever it was that kind of got them irritated in the first place. And then they'll come back the next day and say, well, it still hurts. Yeah. It's like, okay, because you're not respecting the tissue. You're not respecting this healing time that is required uh, for these types of things. So if there's ever a question, I always say, you know, talk to, you know, someone like us, who's a medical professional who can really guide you through that process of healing of certain tissues, because certain tissues, depending on what's injured, heal at different rates. You know, you can have a hard workout and be really sore for a day or two. And in a day or two, you're ready to go again because muscle has very good oxygen and uh, blood perfusion. So it heals quickly. Ligaments and tendons, not so much. It takes a lot longer. And even when the pain is gone, sometimes there's, uh, there's still a little bit of care that needs to be had. And uh, on the other end of things, there are people that don't want to move it at all. And now you're getting stiffness and scar tissue and adhesions that are starting to form, which can cause an extra load of pain. Yeah. So we have to know when's okay to push it, when's okay to hold back and finding that balance that will really just, you know, put you in hyperspeed as far as the healing process is concerned. Yeah. And it's a tough thing to navigate on your own. I was going to say, it definitely sounds like the perfect opportunity to find a professional because those are so many nuances and things that you have to manage. And why manage it on your own when you can have somebody who's educated in that area that their role is to guide you in that process and you just have to show up for it and they have to do like all the back end work. Yep. Um, you know, and I think it's worth an investment to do that for yourself if you desire to have longevity. And if you desire to be an athlete, you know, you have to consider and prioritize what those investments are that you're doing. And this is definitely something if longevity is one of the things that you desire, which with you join jujitsu and you're addicted like all of us, you know, usually we're trying to be in this for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, so with that said, kind of how does your process work when working with athletes for those who may be interested? Yeah, so we usually, um, we start really with, we call it a discovery call or, you know, there's different terms for it, but we try to get people either on the phone or face-to-face for at least a 15, 20 minute, just just chit chat, you know, like let it gives us an opportunity to understand the individual, understand what their issues might be, whether it is problems, you know, maybe an injury or something along those lines. Um, or if it's just somebody like kind of our, our, our favorite kind of people who come to us preemptively, right? They're like, hey, I, I've had this stuff in the past. It's a better now. I don't want it to happen again in the future. Let's, let's, can we work on some preventative stuff? So, um, you know, it gives us an opportunity to understand where they're at, you know, what their, what their issues are, what they're wanting to work on, um, what their goals are, right? Um, and then gives them an opportunity to understand us. From there, we get scheduled with an evaluation. 
Um, and the, you know, we run our evaluations. Uh, sometimes they're a full hour, sometimes they're even a little bit longer and it's one-on-one. So, you know, you're not going to get, um, tossed off to some other person who's not trained. It's, it's, you know, us with that client for the whole time. And we look at the person as a whole human. Um, you know, if somebody comes in with knee pain, we're not just looking at the knee and, and nothing else. You know, we, we look all the way up and down the chain. Um, we're going to talk about your sleep, your nutrition, your hydration. What do you do for work? What kind of other things are bothering your, your symptoms or, or causing symptoms? What things make it better? You know, we try and look at the full picture. Um, and then we're going to watch you move. So, um, you know, we watch you, um, sp specific movements, depending on what it is they came in, came in for, um, to try to kind of, uh, you know, pick out the, the deficits in movement, the, the faults in the movement, the imbalances, um, you know, our, our eyes are very trained now at this point to be able to pick these things out and, and find where those imbalances might be that that will give us an idea of how to create a plan of care. Yeah. Um, that's very individualized to that person, very specific to their issues, their injuries or faults of movement, uh, and, and then moving towards their goals. So um, once that evaluation, again, very thorough evaluation, and then we get going with sessions, you know, so then depends on the person um, and what they're dealing with. But, you know, we can do all everything from a couple of sessions to we've got, you know, larger packages that, because yeah. you know, we don't want the, the a lot of times, this happens a lot in other clinics too, where, you know, the pe person comes for a couple of sessions, we can help people feel a lot better in just a few sessions. And they're like, oh, great. I feel amazing. See when it hurts again. And then they, then you don't hear from them for months, but it never actually solved the problem. Yeah. We try and encourage people to really, like you mentioned about investing in yourself and investing in your longevity, in your activity or sport. Um, and so we really encourage people to, you know, invest in themselves to spend enough time with us to not only get out of pain um, and start feeling better, but actually work towards solving the problem, fix those faults, fix those imbalances. And that just, it does take extra time. You know, people are always looking for this quick fix. And yeah, when you do physical therapy, right, it's not, it's not often the whole, the big picture is not usually a quick fix. It's an investment. Yeah. When yeah. you're building that strength and that neuromuscular control, those pathways take time to build up. You can't just exactly. show someone an exercise and give them a handout and say, work on those and we'll see you later. Yeah. Uh, because again, we have to see, are you doing them properly? And as you're progressing on something, we're going to take a simple movement and we're going to make it more complex. We're going to add more aspects to it. Right. Uh, so that way, once you get to a certain level, well, now, now you're starting to learn some things that will actually keep you healthier for that lifetime of activity. Yeah. And, and we even try to emphasize like not even discharging patients. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's one of these things where again, PT will typically see people for well, two or three times a week for four weeks and then you're done and then see you later until it happens again. Uh, we always try to emphasize like that community aspect. Like we want you to contact us if you're having any problems or any issues with uh, what you're dealing with. If, if you're doing an exercise and you're like, this one seems to be hurting me more when I'm doing this. Okay, let me know so that we can change it and see what's going wrong with it. Yeah. And then once you are feeling better, Hey, let's, let's keep tuning up. It's like going to the dentist and getting a cleaning or just getting the oil changed on your car. You want to stay ahead of these problems before your engine burns up on the side of the road. Right. 
that's that's how we want to try to keep things going. And that's kind of how we want physical therapy to be. Yeah. Yeah. We want people to just kind of maintain their bodies through us and let the professionals take a look at you every so often. Yeah. That's also been part of our mission is to really kind of change the face of physical therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Physical therapy doesn't have to be 12 visits. And then, like I said, and then you're discharged and see you later. We've just kind of eliminated that word from our, our vernacular because it should be it sh- we, we should be part of the team that can help keep you going and help keep you, you know, on that preventative road as opposed to, you know, so we can stop these injuries as best we can ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. One of my friends recently got the knee surgery and after that checkup appointment, it was ridiculous. We were dying laughing of what she got. It was a black and white sheet of paper with the most ridiculous exercises that were from like 1980s. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is pathetic. Yeah. And, it's, yeah, it's a disservice to, yeah. you know, yeah, I was like, wow, this is not how it needs to be. So it's so nice that you're doing that. So I'll, I would love for you to send me the link of like how to book a discovery call. So I can put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, and any other particular ways that people can connect with you website or specific Instagram, whatever you want, what is that for people to, to know? And then I can also add that to the show notes. Yeah. Uh, our website is forgeperformancept.com. Uh, we are on Instagram at forgeperformancept, uh, Facebook, same thing at forgeperformancept. Um, our email is info at forgeperformancept. So it's all kind of pretty much the same and nice and easy to find us, but everything should be on our website as well. Our contact information, there's phone number on there and everything. So, um, yeah, so you can contact us by email or phone number and we can, and I think there's actually a link directly to the schedule thing as well on our, on our website. So and we do okay. virtual visits, so we can see it anywhere. Exactly. I was going to, yeah, that's a good point to make. We are based out of Gainesville, Florida. We do see local patients here, right, you know, right in town, but we do, um, you know, virtual sessions and packages and all of that kind of stuff too. So from anywhere in the country, um, you know, we, we are, we're available. So, uh, you know, there's a lot we can do even through a cool Zoom call. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I really hope that you guys take the time to check them out on the website, on Instagram. And um, it was such an amazing conversation. So many golden nuggets, so many takeaways and a lot of reinforcing of the concepts I teach, which is so beautiful to me because again, physical therapy is not my area of expertise, but to know that there is like an off branch of physical therapy who are integrating the same principles with this community is really important because again, we're part of that like team and that community that's building athletes up in this particular paradigm and and mindset and the way that we're viewing things. So it's hopeful that we are changing the path, the way athletes get to view things and we're contributing in that way, which is amazing. And lastly, I love to ask all of my jujitsu interviewees, um, what's your favorite submission or takedown at the moment? Ooh, Mm, at the moment, (laughs) I have been working on I have been working on finding, so Miss Miss Rachel Casillas, I'm going to give her a shout out. And she teaches this, this, like a shotgun kind of a guard and, and shooting and shooting a triangle from a shotgun guard. There's a lot of other things she does from there, but I've been trying to work on, I, I'm loving me a triangle and trying to find it at a lot of different areas, a lot of different positions, but that shotgun to triangle is, is what I've been working on a lot lately. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I kind of like the mounted triangle if I can get there. And uh, yeah, so same thing. It's just like playing around with triangles and uh, just like choking people. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, watch out, everybody. They're coming for your necks. They're coming for your necks with their thighs. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, it was so nice to have you guys on here. Thank you so much for dedicating your time and your expertise and your wisdom. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Bye for now. Thank you.